0: All right, guys, here we are again on our next episode of the Left of Greg podcast. Today, we're going to be joined again by Mr. Sean Clemens, uh, who is on the last couple episodes, a friend of the program, law enforcement background, training background, uh, been dealing with human behavior-related topics for a very long time, brings a wealth of knowledge. As always, we again have uh, the Greg Williams, who the podcast is affectionately named after. And today, we have our special guest, Mr. Mr. Blackheart himself, Mr. Eric Collier, uh, former marine sniper slash human behavior subject matter expert, taught uh, with Greg and on a number of different programs all over the world, has been doing it a long time and still continues kind of in the security-related field now. And so he's going to kind of give us his perspective on some of the some of the topics that we're going to be talking about. So with that, uh, no, no reason to give any more of an introduction. Let's go ahead and jump in. So Greg, I know you wanted to bring up a few things today. Pretty much, kind of how it relates how humans interact with their environment in their terrain, and some lessons learned uh, overseas in, in, in the most dangerous environments, and literally how that just applies right here at home, whether you're on the playground or you know at shopping with your family, uh, possibilities are, are endless. So there's real no difference in the human behavior. So we can bring those lessons learned in the most dangerous environments right back here to home. So how do we make our kids safer? How do we make our schools safer? How do we make our community better? So I think that's a, a best way to set up today's episode. So, Greg, would you like to uh, kind of start off and, and get us down this path? And then I know we wanted to have Eric bring in a lot of his experiences, from, uh, especially from his sniper background, and how that relates here at home.
1: Yeah, and, and thank you, and, and welcome, Eric. It's, it's great to see you again. Uh, Eric, uh, Brian, and I uh, chomped a lot of Middle Eastern ground together, and, uh, uh, your, uh, the Kempinski hotel and Riyadh called, they still have your shower shoes. So if you would please, you would please report to the front desk. I think that would be great. We'll, we'll, now, we'll
0: save the story of, uh, of, of, seeing the FBI's 10 most wanted list in the lobby of the hotel. We're staying in the middle of Saudi Arabia for another, another time.
1: That'll be a great pot episode in itself. <laughs> now the, uh, what happened, Brian? Is uh, Shelley and I were having a discussion in town, and the information that was coming in uh, about a in-progress event was uh, stopgap, and and there was such uh, uh, poor information being transmitted that I started thinking about back in the day who we would opt uh, uh, to get information for us. And I remember being on uh, being in an area in Afghanistan, looking down on a highway and having the U.S. Army sniper team uh, uh, attached because they were the best people to be able to report what they were seeing accurately enough that we could get that message information to intelligence, then something else would happen. So uh, I I thought that would be a great thing to reach out to to Collier, and Collier has a a great, succinct way of explaining the role of a sniper in combat. And then, Sean, I'd like... uh, you to, to kind of touch on what the role of uh, law enforcement sniper is, and then, Brian, clearly as a scout sniper with your background, then I'd like to be able to bring that into the arena of so what. What does that mean to the common person on deck when they're going out to chow with their family? So, uh, Eric, uh, and, and whose heart is black as coal, and we're both dressed a lot alike today, that's great. Uh, wh- what's the role of the sniper? What does the commander uh, need from a sniper?
2: I think first and foremost is his ability to deliver long-range precision fire from a concealed position. Um, Secondary is to be able to pull information that he's gathering from the baseline of the environment. What's the atmospherics? Um, what's the moods, the smells, the taste of the environment that's in whatever the AO that he's looking at is? Um, because he needs to be able to push that back to the rear so that commander can take that information real time and develop his plan going forward to whatever his operational narrative is going to be when he goes downrange for whatever the mission is. Um, everybody's experiences downrange in different time frames and different timelines were different. So all snipers uh, in the past 10 years, 15 years have had different experiences while... My time was there. Air, we made our money gathering information. Um, we'd be sent out to do area recon or point recon, watch this, watch that. Um, area issue was is all we could do was push basic information. This is the number of people that I'm seeing. Um, these are the type of vehicles. These are the number of people in the marketplace. But we didn't have a lexicon or a verbiage or a way to communicate what's, what was actually going on in the environment. Um, I think once I met you and uh, did a lot of the training with you, you were able to allow me to put the actual words and definitions to everything that I was seeing downrange, so that I could better paint a picture. Because that's what my job is. I'm, I mean, it's like a professional painter. I like Bob Ross, for example. I mean, he's a great painter in his time. Um. If with two brush strokes I can make a masterpiece on Mona Lisa, that's what he needs because I don't have 45 minutes on a radio to be able to communicate what I'm seeing. I either got to type it up, I got to draw it up, or I got to send it back to the rear as quick as possible with the best robust information that I can. Um, And by doing that, it creates a bandwidth um, that we can tune a frequency. It's like having two radios. If the timing ain't right, the channel ain't right, you're not communicating. But by me doing that, I can... Uh, push that information to him as quick as possible with as much clarity as possible so that if my job back then was to try to make it um, in the back of my brain is if my commander was laying right behind me and looking through the spotting and scope and I was looking through this rifle scope, we would both be seeing the same thing even if we were 25 miles apart.
1: So, I, I, I think that's an important piece. Uh, I, I can only speak from my personal experience not being a sniper but being a trained observer and uh, having the luxury of of great friends like Chuck Mawinney, uh, uh Carlos Halfcock, having uh, taught with those guys, uh, uh, you know, being able to work at the East Coast Sniper School with uh, great guys like Benny Alisea, Nate Hunt. Uh, what, what was that legend? Who, who's the, the one-eyed sniper that did the best range cards I've ever seen in my life? I can't remember his name. Uh, from the from the West Coast. Uh, tried, failed, tried again. What was it? Lee. Yeah. Oh, God, I'll think of that and he, he deserves our, our, our love and admiration. But the point is that those guys, when you spoke to him, my right shoe has more personality than Nate Hunt had. But when he got behind the glass, he could he could give you a flipping Picasso. I mean he would you know what what is the guy, Surratt with the dots? He was be able to transmit exactly what was going on in real time so I could use that information, like you said for planning my next move, my ML Coen, most likely course of action. Or he's transmitting a most dangerous course of action. Uh, second only to Benny Alisea, who uh, I knew him for 11 years, and he said three words. Uh, but when he was on the emitter, uh, or the biter and he was transmitting that message, he could, he could put it in my brain. So even if I didn't see what was going on, I knew what was going on. Now, from a police perspective, that's essential as well. And, and Sean, the, the police officer has dispatch, which is in his ear, telling him the types of things he's likely to expect. But, uh, and, and remember, we have kinetic incidents where uh, if you're a businessman at home, uh, things are uh, uh, kinetic when you're non-permissive and you're getting shot at and bad things are blowing up and cars are burning and stuff. But you've had those type of days in a boardroom, too. Uh, so just equate what we're talking about to your business, your line of work, whether you're a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer, uh, you're working in an emergency room as triage, it's basically the same thing. But, but Sean, from that perspective, what's the role of a SWAT sniper, a, a law enforcement sniper, because they have them uh, and, and they don't always use them. What's their role?
3: Well, I, I'd like to start off, I think, in law enforcement, Sniper is kind of like a misnomer. For as much as they use, we could probably replace the name with maybe a forward observer, the eyes and ears right. of the commander. A lot. If we had to compare the difference, military sniper, law enforcement sniper. First, first and foremost, law enforcement their first priority is protection of the public. That's first and foremost. I imagine on the military side, you have some protections also, but the public is one thing you don't have to worry about. Maybe the civilian population also there, but mostly time, it's I imagine it's a remote shot, something like that. Law enforcement also, uh, the suspect, we're going normally here. Normally probably 75% is surrounded by bystanders, uh, hostages. Uh, so you have to account for that. We have to account for every, every, every bullet that goes downrange, so to speak, including the shot, if you do have to take a shot on a suspect, that shot normally is taken by law enforcement within 100-yard range. I pulled some studies. Uh, the best one I found was from like 84 to 2004, 20-year study, about 200 shots taken by snipers on human targets. And out of those 200 shots, 80% of those um, were through and through shots, mostly with a 308 caliber. So that shot also went through the suspect and then we have to account for what's the backstop behind that. So those are the big differences. The similarities, getting back to what Eric was talking about, we have to be the eyes and ears of the commander um, so they can kind of make their decisions. Everybody, the incident commander, the supervisors, uh, the road patrol officers, the civilians, the hostages, um, everybody kind of up that chain of command, it's all relying on good intel, uh, real-time intel from that from that forward observer, so to speak, we'll call.
1: So, Brian, uh, one of the things I want to bring up now that we've got sort of a uh, a, a arena within which to play, uh, it's unlikely that uh, the three big killers of human beings, uh, uh, other than heart disease, uh, are still uh, snipers, uh, IEDs, and insider threats. And as a human behavior uh, pattern. Uh, uh analyst and and most people fail to recognize when they're in danger until they're in danger so a sniper has to be able to to clandestinely move into an area take a look at that area transmit information and come out he's not a dying in place guy he's he's not a, a person that's going to walk in and detonate so that means that he has to have specialized skills how long uh uh would you imagine training is for a sniper well, I, and that, that's a that's a good
0: point to to tie in uh, both the law enforcement and the military side is one training uh, and life experience. It all leads into that. So so you you look at. So my experience as a marine sniper, I had to go through a selection process. Then after I passed that selection process, I still had to be one of the top guys to get a spot to go to the school. Then I still had to go to that schoolhouse. Right. And then then after I passed months and months of that training. So that's that's right there, is five months right there. Then I was only a basically trained sniper. Then I had to go through more schooling. So you're talking about six, seven, eight months and then you start more training with your team. So so there's a there's a lot involved and 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 just like uh, Eric was saying, and just like Sean was saying, so you're 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 kind of the eyes and ears of of someone else, of the overall picture painting it, right? So you're going, hey, this is what I see, what's going on, and and in my experience, both military and then working with uh, law enforcement snipers that's kind of where where things can get into like a gray area right so we all have our own different interpretations of what's going on or or guys you'll you'll see get this tacit knowledge of doing it a long time or watching it a long time going well you know i just knew something was up or i saw this and, and, you know, it's, it, it could be very difficult. And I think what, what Eric was talking about too, especially when you multiply it, like, look, the first time I was in the Middle East, I'm going, what, this is so foreign to me. This is absolutely, I've never seen anything like it until I went, well, okay, I grew up in a city. I'm in a city right here. What well, what do I know from my experience uh, growing up that I can equate to this situation right here? But at that time, I didn't have that that lexicon that Eric was talking about, that, that verbiage, that, a vernacular to describe it. Like I knew certain things, but I didn't really know how to, how to get on the radio and call. So you're going, well, look, this is what's going on. But coming out of that other end is, is I might as well have been speaking uh, a different language because it wasn't making sense to that person until you can go, all right, well, what's the common thing here? So, so Sean's talking about uh, a sniper here in the U.S., uh, which is or a forward observer, someone observing a, a law enforcement sniper, observing a situation, observing human behavior, and Eric's talking about the same thing, but but something uh, in a completely different country, uh, maybe at a higher threat level, but not necessarily a higher threat level for them. And, and and how do we how do we equate those things? How are those two things the same? And and so, there's so there's different ways we can describe that.
1: Well, but, let me give let, let me give a a, a very basic example. And and you're you're spot on, Brian. And and I think we're all dancing around the issue that a baseline is a baseline is a baseline. And once you develop a baseline for wherever you are, even if you've never been at the place before, then you can start adding the granularity in to make it more robust. And what I mean by that, let's give you a very simple example. So, Collier, uh, in a combat zone, there's negative, positive, and dead space, and those are important to anybody, uh, maneuver element, uh, uh, forward observer, uh, sniper, anybody. So can you give us like a street definition of what negative, positive, dead space is? And then, Brian, uh, I'd like you to take the counterpoint and give us those same examples in an urban setting in the United States or in Paris or somewhere that isn't a combat zone. Uh, Do me a favor. Start off here.
2: Okay, so positive space is going to be something that has uh, mass. It's a solid, uh, anything that's a structure. It could be a coffee cup sitting on my table right here. It could be this actual dry erase board. But if we're looking at a cityscape, like I've got drawn out here in my pictures, the actual, uh, the positive space is going to be the buildings. Um, Something that, you know, a round can't uh, push through or observation can't push through. uh, It's a solid mass. Um, And if I come over to the next right here in this little seam or gap, this alleyway, that's going to be my negative space. Nothing exists there. Uh, It would be a, a vacuum. It's just air. Anything can pass through that. Information can pass through that. People can pass through that. Around can pass through that. So for me, that negative space right there is the most dangerous place on the battlefield. Right there in, in my brain, negative space is what gets me killed. Um, positive space is what I'm going to use for cover uh, to keep, keep people from observing me, to stop the rounds from hitting me, uh, protect me from an explosion or shrapnel or a blast. Now, if I come over to my building again, i got more positive space. Then I come over, I have another space right here with negative space, and the tree would be positive space too. Again, it, it has mass to it now what's behind this building uh what's behind this tree or what's behind this vehicle up here that's called uh that's that's your dead space you can't see into that um it's hard to if I have a direct line of sight, punch into it. The only way that we can defeat these uh, these dead spaces where the bad guys like to hide back in behind those buildings or in behind that cover is to have some type of aerial platform uh, using multi- uh, mutually supporting positions where I've got two or three people out there all pre-coordinated to try to look into that dead space that have geometries of fire and are communicating that back and forth to positively use all that terrain to my advantage uh, in the battle space. So once again, positive space is anything that has math. Uh, mass negative space there's nothing there it's a vacuum and then my dead space is what's behind the positive space now there's another thing that happens to us when we look at at these buildings let's say if I were to look at this uh, tall building up here can you guys see that one up here sure yep if I look at that dark window my brain kind of kind of has some cognitive dissonance or it plays a a trick on me optically that if I'm walking down the street and I just casually look into that window my eye is going to focus on the front plane of that building and that shadow is almost going to turn into a, a wall. Um, my eyes won't push back into that back corner. So that's something through training that you have to teach yourself how to do is to push into that because this is negative space. If that's an open window, that shadow that's there, um, and force yourself to look in next negative space. Um, when I'm moving across an open danger area, I'm always cognizant of that negative space because i said again that's what allows information to pass through bullets to pass through and blasts to pass through
1: and yeah. in a combat zone i would venture to say uh, dead space is essential to know what's going on there or you'll be dead because that's where mortars are going to be launched from or cabal uh, is going to plan an attack or anything else and, right. and sean is an expert uh, uh on, on the, the streets of the united states and let's say executive dignitary protection or is Uh, A long storied career uh, decorated career as a law enforcement officer he had to know that same thing because a victim is going to be using uh the channels that that are created by the the uh, negative space yet so are the criminals because they're going to hide just inside the shadows to try to blend in to try to use that to their advantage so that's a very simple definition brian what does that mean
0: well, yeah, I, and I think you kind of started to touch on it already. That, that doesn't matter where you're at in the world. All right? why, do, why do criminals, uh, uh, which is no different than insurgent activity, why, why do they choose certain locations? Uh, how do they hide without us? You know, why, why do they all of a sudden pop out of nowhere on a strong-arm robbery? Well, they weren't out of nowhere. It didn't, didn't appear out of nowhere. And that's that, that understanding, that negative space, is something as simple as when I'm walking through a parking lot you know, into the grocery store. Uh, my just like Eric was saying, when I look at, around at those vehicles, even if I just do a quick scan, I can't see in them. My my brain paints that out, even though there's windows right there. I don't actually. If, if I don't take the time to kind of look into there and go, hey why are those two guys just sitting in that vehicle parked underneath the shade over there? That looks a little odd. What's going on there? There's no... That behavior doesn't fit the event that, that should be happening right now. But but I won't even... What what happens is... I think what you're getting at, Eric, is I won't even actually see that unless I know how to look exactly. into that. And And that's no different even... I mean, how often do, do you know, gas stations or, or little convenience stores get robbed in the U.S.? It, it, it happens all the time, every day, in every, every, hour. Major, every hour of every day in every city they're, they're, where there is a gas station. It's, it's getting robbed, right? So, but no one, how many times do, do people do you pull up when you're pumping gas and before you go in to pay or before you go in to buy a Snickers bar, how often do you actually look through the window that you can usually see through and to see what's going on in there? And, and we don't do that because, because now you're saying is, is I actually have there's a, a, the cognitive ability to do it. I don't, I'm not born with that, right? I have to actually learn how to actually just look in there because my brain and I are working against me a little bit.
1: I'll give you a perfect example of that in a law enforcement role. Chantel and I worked in the, the same area in uh, the uh, metropolitan Detroit area as law enforcement officers back in the day. And uh, there were things called foot pursuits that happened all the time. And younger coppers, unexperienced, untrained coppers, inexperienced, untrained coppers, would follow the guy running anywhere he went. Now, you're running in negative space. There's nothing in that street. But all of a sudden, that guy veers off into a dark alley. And as he goes into that dead space, you have no idea what's coming next. And so you have to either let your light go in there Or you have to let a drone go in there, or you have to let your eyes from other officers look in there. Because if you compromise the situation by going in there, then you're at bang. And anything that happens is going to be based on that bang. And when I say at bang, I don't mean it's going to be a shooting. Guy can be waiting there with a tree stump to hit you in the head. Uh, The guy can uh, uh, be tangled up in the wire, and you're going to run right past him. There, you know, he could have a knife. There's so many different situations. But the idea is that you have to anticipate negative, positive, dead space everywhere you go. Now, I'm going to let uh, uh, Sean talk about uh, that in the realm of cop work and executive dignitary protection. But, Brian, you brought up something that's, that's fantastic. Uh, if we go back to something like Columbine, the tragedy in Columbine, had somebody sitting out in front of the school observed the way the vehicles were parked? or observed somebody dragging a duffel bag full of propane tanks into a position, or done, uh, you know, the clothing not fitting the hot Colorado I- environment, somebody could have sounded an alarm. And, and to to talk to Eric's point about not being able to see it, uh, Will Atkinson, uh, an incredible instructor, we were teaching in uh, Camp Pendleton on a range, and uh, we were making devices, uh, uh, IEDs, that wouldn't hurt anybody but that would be uh, uh, realistic, Cognitively close enough, and so there were propane tanks out there, and and there was a debt cord and some other things. And uh, Williams' uh, uh, girlfriend back then was walking along with us. She had showed up for lunch, and as she goes by, she says, "Oh, come on, Will! You said you guys aren't going to have time for lunch. Look at all these propane tanks. What are you having a barbecue?" In her mind, because she wasn't trained. The only logical explanation for that many propane tanks came up was, hey, I'm at the uh, gosh darn tractor supply getting a propane tank filled or these folks are having the king-size barbecue. You won't see it even though it's there. It becomes a mirage to your brain because your brain can't look at that and sense the danger. So the location that you're in, you have to do an assessment. You have to look, listen, smell, feel, even before you go and get your milk in the morning, even before you drop off your kids at in, in, in school, or, or even before you, uh, you know, open your door to a delivery person. Sean?
3: Yeah, um, I, I guess this learning through law enforcement, and, and you know, uh, Eric put it perfectly, learning about negative space, positive space. I didn't have that verbiage or vernacular in, in law enforcement, uh, so it's nice to have that verbiage to use. Uh, but to, to kind of go to a personal story, actually, um, recently taught my, my daughter how to drive, and we were in the parking lot in uh, the local grocery store, and so uh, she wanted to run in and get something. So I told her, well, you need to do a looper on the parking lot. And she's like, well, why would I do a looper on the parking lot? And I said, well, you have to understand there's people out here that may want to harm you, that they like to hide in a car, hide next to a car, uh, you know, hide behind in the alleyway, hide in front of the dumpster. And I said, if you just go pull your car in it, without taking a look around the parking lot, you set yourself up. And she looked at me like I was speaking Greek to her. She had no, <laughs> I- she had no idea what I was even talking about. She said, there's people that will sit out here and, and grab my purse. And, uh, and so it kind of hit home that, you know, obviously still, Renee, my wife, being from law enforcement myself, we still have some training to do with them now that they're mo- more mobile. You know, we've trained them when they were And they, they don't have, have a file
1: folder for this new environment. That's so all I,
3: I learned something right then and there that day. I had to create her a file folder, and, and from that point on, we've been building that, talking back to the gas stations. You know, I had her fill up the gas and get back in the car. Uh, the guy next to you, what kind of car was that? W- what color shirt was he wearing? How old was that man? Did he have two, car- two kids or three in the back? Look at me going, what are you talking about? Why would I want to know that?
1: So, so something as simple as shutting off a light In the room where you find yourself, before you walk out into another room, you're not silhouetting yourself, so therefore you've got a better chance of being able to see what's going on than a person seeing that fatal funnel of a doorway. Um, Just looking before you open your car door and doing a 360 or driving around the parking lot or parking and waiting five minutes and watching the entrance and the exit of the building to make sure it's not being robbed. But Brian, isn't that... Paranoia isn't that hyper vigilance
0: no i I think it's not actually it's just that that's that's the whole point that's informed awareness it's It's small things like that 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 build good habits and that lead to you not walking into those things you know there there's countless examples you know when hey people hear something I, i've seen it before where where oh hey, what is that outside, and it's dark inside the house, and people turn their lights on. But they, they literally turn the lights on of the room they're in. like, well, well you realize now you've just silhouetted yourself. You lit up inside Precisely. the house rather than outside the house where you wanted to. And I've seen that happen with a num- number of times. But in terms of is it paranoia, well, well no, it's, it's, it's actually not. It's just it's just being a little bit more situationally aware. And sometimes just that that extra second, half second, five seconds, five minutes, whatever you have – Is all it takes to, one, uh, observe some, some type of behavior that might be an anomaly in your environment that look odd that can get you to go, hey, you know what, maybe I can go fill up my gas somewhere else. Or it's enough even... It's even just enough to make yourself yourself a harder target because if I'm a criminal, if I'm a bad guy, I'm not looking for the person who's yeah. looking around and looking at what's going on. I'm looking for the person that's staring down at their phone, not paying attention because I can do whatever I want to them. I, I, they have no situation where they're always going to be behind that reactionary gap. So, so I, they, they just become an easier target. So, yeah. so you're doing two things at once. You're not only making yourself smarter and more informed and more aware, you're also making yourself at that same time just a harder target.
1: Uh, Collier, give me the other side of the coin here for the people that are watching at home so it's not military or law enforcement centric. Listen, I know that unless I'm trained, I'm going to miss things in my environment. I know now that there are different things, just a building or a door or a window, that can throw me off. And my mind is easily fooled because I see what I want to see. I see what I expect to see. But we also get dumber the longer we're in a situation. We actually get dumber the longer that we are sitting in an office or working at triage in an emergency room or, uh, uh, you know, visiting my kid at school for parent-teacher day. Why is it that the longer I do a skill, I actually get dumber?
2: I mean, it just comes down to the basic principle that we have things on board, change, blindness, and adaptation. Um, Every day I drive home the exact same way. I come down the same street to my house. Uh, how many telephone poles are there along the way? Uh, how many new houses go up? You see the same thing time after time after time. Your brain gets used to seeing that to where it will actually start to paint it out because it's not shiny. It's not a piece of candy that's attractive and, uh, and draws my attention to it. Um, so if it moves slowly in my environment and there's not a drastic change that it's just blaring right in my face, uh, I, I'm going to punch right past that um, change blindness. It's like uh, if you got a brand new set of designer uh, sunglasses, you um, You take them out of the package, you put them on a day, um, and you scratch them the next day. That first week, you're going to be upset and mad, and you're going to see that scratch right through your field of view the whole entire time. But five months down the road, you're going to forget that that scratch even exists because your brain paints it out.
1: Um, so so gunny- that, that, well, one
0: one thing but when we had to oh, i was about to say hi to will who jumped on real quick but by the way everybody um, that's will Atkinson. yeah but, but uh on that that that's exactly why you know where do most vehicle accidents happen within a few miles of your home precisely you know, that's exactly it is you're okay i'm here i'm in my bubble i shut my brain off i'm no longer thinking but when we go to that new environment when we're looking for something when we actually have to find someone's house or a new street address or something suddenly we start seeing all this stuff and noticing everything because we're actually attending to our environment versus, well, here I am, I'm a few blocks from home, and
1: boom, that's where, that's where I, get, I run into someone or someone runs into me. And attending is where attention comes from. And Collier, you would agree with me that to maintain muscle mass and to build endurance and to increase human performance, you have to work out. And so you have to work out your muscles, and your brain is a muscle, so you have to work out your brain too. And if you want to go to that next level and not just be a normal troglodyte, you actually have to have a mentor or a teacher, Collier. If you invest in a mentor or a teacher, will you be better at weightlifting skills and running and swimming and yeah. those type of things?
2: Because the minute it gets hard, you're going to say no, or you're not going to change the stimulation constantly on the muscle. Therefore, it's going to get used to it, and it's going to stay the same. Precisely. You have to have so, have so, show you a different angle of how to do something.
1: So, Brian, my point being that this is the tip of the iceberg of a much larger, much broader discussion that we're going to have. But why training? Why not just get a pamphlet? Why does education fail when we're talking about increasing human Performance in the realm of situation awareness.
0: Yeah, and I think just to just to kind of wrap up what we were talking about before we jump into some other things with with Will and and, and Brian here as the, as they jump everybody on. Everybody,
1: the next panel is here.
0: So so uh, just just to exactly wrap that up is is what you talk about, right? What we always say: Hey, education is important, man. I want to read every book in the library. I want to read everything I, into this I can, and and that that will get you to maybe think more critically or sure. or open your eyes to a, a different way of viewing a topic. But but the the simple fact is training changes behavior so i have to develop i have to either go through a training course or i have to attend something or I have to watch something very something that, that's not just educational where i go hey that was really cool information but but something that where i have a takeaway where it gives me okay here's a framework to use here's here's so a framework, framework to and it's no different than, than than going to the gym or get, going to see a trainer and saying, "Hey, here here's what I want to do. All right, you got to get on a plan. You got to get on a program. Here's what you're going to use to do that. Even if you already know the movements, that's not good enough. Now I got to go. You know, you can't just read a book on on how to how to." do a back squat and expect to go set some world record no there's there's a training program that goes involved with that and depending on what level you want to get to is what you got to do hey you might just need the basics but but that's going to help you in what you want hey maybe you're some superstar whatever well now you need that elite level but but either way it's the it's the training uh, versus education debate that that we, we we have to have with a lot of people
1: well, I, I appreciate that. And I, I want to say I appreciate everybody that was on this panel today. And, and Brian, if they want the type of uh, human behavior-based threat prediction and, and avoidance uh, that we're talking about, how do they get a hold of us? Well, I
0: know I know a great spot to go to. <laughs> that's that's remarkable. Arc- 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 dot com to get a hold of us. Which I'll put a link up to the website, or to listen to this, or watch this on the left of Greg's uh, uh, podcast channel on YouTube. But but either way, uh, we'll go to the website. I'll have the link up too for the video and link to this. But uh, I, I think that we know a thing or two about human behavior and prevention, and that would be a great place I would recommend to start. So. That's all I got. Thank you guys for joining. Thanks again, Sean and Eric. Sean. And hello to Brian and Will who jumped on here. And uh, we'll, we'll pick this up again. And thank you guys for your time.
1: Have a great night, everybody.
0: See you later.
3: Thank you.